Good morning. <clears throat> I love hearing all the buzz. And then if I get quiet, y'all get quiet. That's helpful. Welcome to the table at Central United Methodist Church, and we're glad to be together this morning. I'm going to open us with prayer, um, which we do periodically when um, things are overwhelmingly uh, striking in the world. And there are lots of reasons for that, actually. Lots and lots of reasons. But this last week, we, uh, and many of you too, I hope, got word about a very sad death, murder, of a young student, a non-binary trans student uh, named Nex Benedict. So um, we're going to open with prayer. And I invite us to take in a deep breath and let it out. And let's be in an attitude of prayer. Spirit of life and love that resides within and among us, we enter this moment with all that we are. We also enter with open hearts and a love for justice as we hold grief and outrage at the death of next Benedict. We hold in love and prayer all transgender non-binary people, so many of whom live under the weight of violence, fear, and intolerance. We hold in love and prayer all the ways that transgender non-binary people have survived and thrived, even in a hostile world. And we hold in love and prayer all who recognize the significance of gender justice for all of God's beloveds. We who believe in freedom will not rest until it comes. We pray for the dawn of a new day when the very humanity of trans people is no longer called into question or ignored, when our schools are places of safety, not gauntlets to survive. Hear the cry of our hearts, God, as we strive to create a world where people of all genders know peace, love, and justice. Help us to live lives of compassion and care for all of humanity as all of us seek to do the healing work of relationship building that will help every person know, no matter their gender or sexuality, that they are beloved children of God and remind us that all we do without love means nothing. Open our hearts, God. May the people say amen. 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 I invite us to stand as we are willing and able.
let my gardens speak for me when I am gone. Let them speak in colored whispers of all the beauty I have seen and felt and lived. Let them speak of how much death had defined me, how many hard seasons it took to make me a living, breathing thing. Let them speak of my seasons of growth and abundance, but let them also tell of my seasons of loss and decay. Let the soft, wet earth be a reminder of hardness that didn't win, of sadness that didn't calcify, of surrender that triumphed over resistance. And let the glorious, fragrant blooms speak of my life and its greatest lesson, that the beauty we make never dies. Come sit by my garden.
Pastor Linda opened and welcomed today with very heavy feelings. And it brought me so many memories. And I just wanted to share this. There was a time within when I was in Fiji. <clears throat> Every three to six months, I would hear somebody or a kid a person of non-binary, a member of LGBTQI, committed suicide, or hate crime, and nothing would be done. The, the authorities wouldn't do anything. And when Pastor Linda was sharing that, it just There's a lot of hate out there. What we have is love. And I lived and I stand by that motto that love conquers hate. I've always used that in my own life and, and we have that. This hateful world is, we're gonna shine. We're all going to shine. And communities like this, can bring a lot of changes. I have, I've experienced that. Welcome. My name is Sarneet Pravinesh Prasad, and I'm the Sunday morning coordinator here at the table. This is the first time I said my middle name. <laughs> I welcome those who are online. Kara is our host today. Today's bulletin is available with a QR code, those in the century, and a link will be shared for those online. If you would like to learn more about our community of faith, please go to our website, thetableumc.org, and complete an online connect card. When you feel ready to connect with others, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith which is designed to help newcomers learn more about our community and how we share life here at the table. Learn more and sign up on our website. Please note, we will gather for pop-up worship next Sunday, March 3rd at 4 p.m. at Davis UMC. If you would like to learn more about the possibility of being baptized or celebrating the baptism of a child in your family, our co-pastors will lead an orientation to baptism after our 11 a.m. worship on Sunday, March 10th, here in the century. Please sign up on the website, thetableumc.org. Um, I also would like to say that we have some left and forgotten items on the next table step. Um, you can claim your item if you have, if it's there. Um, also, sign up for hospitality is open. Please sign up for March. Um, also, there was like so many alsos. <laughs> Easter is coming, which is going to be March 31st. I'm looking for a group of people who would like to volunteer to help out in setting up, and there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, please see me, and then I need, or we need, uh, a co-group where we can work together with Jen and myself and Pastor Matt and Pastor Linda. 
We will continue to move in worship with our music team sharing another new song they created last month while on a writing retreat. This writing retreat seems to be a very magical place. <laughs> this is a very first time we shared this song, Wild Things. The lyrics include poetry with, from Wendell Berry and also Psalms 65. This arrangement is by Ariel. Please remain seated as we continue in worship with Wild Things.
Let us rejoice. Amen to that. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you, music. Phenomenal music team. Jazz geniuses. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. My name is Bob Martinez. And at this time, I'd like to invite our children to move from the sanctuary to their godly place sanctuaries as our amazing musicians offer some walking music. I remind uh, our families here that we receive an offering in godly play to support Mustard Seed School, which is a Montessori-based school for children who are part of families experiencing the unfortunateness of homelessness. We also have loving and professional care for our youngest children just down the hall throughout worship, and godly play takes place upstairs and is designed for children in elementary school, kinder through the sixth grade. Oh, that's a great sound, isn't it? Our reading this morning comes from the eighth chapter of Mark, and I'll be sharing from the First Nations version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament with minor revisions for inclusiveness. And of course, we invite you to follow along. Now Creator sets free, Jesus, then began to instruct his followers that the true human being must suffer many, many things. The council of elders, the head holy men, and the scroll keepers would turn their faces from him. He would then be killed, and after three days, he would return from the world of the dead. He said this openly to all of his followers. Stands on the rock, Peter pulled him aside from the others and spoke sharply to him. Creator sets free, turned and looked to his followers, and then spoke sharply to Stands on the rock. Out of my way, accuser. Satan, these are not the thoughts of the great spirit, but of a weak human being. He then gathered his followers and the crowd around him and said, any who want to walk the road with me must turn away from their own path and carry their own cross as they follow me to the place of ultimate sacrifice. The ones who hold on to their lives will not find life, but the ones who are willing to let go of their lives for me and for the good story that I bring will find the true life. How will it help you to get everything you want in this world but lose the true life? Is there anything in this world worth trading for it? There are bad-hearted and unfaithful people living today in this generation who are ashamed of me and of my message. So, when the true human being comes to show the power and the shining greatness of his creator along with the Holy Spirit messengers, they will also be ashamed of these people. And as our musicians move down, I'll invite us into a spirit of prayer. God, may the depth of your love, may the longing within you for us to find our way be felt and known 
May your spirit break open our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls. May your love move through my words or in spite of them that we might find our way ever deeper into the heart of your grace, your hope, and your love in this day. Amen. Holding this worship series, Climate Faith, over these last uh, days, I was taken by an op-ed that showed up in the New York Times early this week by a person I was unfamiliar with. His name is Ed Conway. He's an economist, uh, director or editor for a London-based company. And he shared an op-ed that was in insightful, but also it was a little bit discouraging for me as well. So part of me didn't want to go there, and then I thought that means we probably need to go there. So what Conway introduced those that tuned into this or those that might hear it now is something called the Jevons Paradox. I had never heard of the Jevons Paradox. I was just going blindly along, not having any idea about the Jevons Paradox. A paradox, as we all know, is, is something that seems absurd or self-contradictory, but then as you investigate it, you actually learn that there is a deep truth that's found within its initial absurd uh, claim. So the Jevons Paradox was named after a 19th century British economist. His name is William Stanley Jevons. And what he noticed is that steam engines, as, as steam engines became more and more efficient, what happened across Britain was that people's appetite for coal increased. So the technological increase, we would assume, would bring down the usage of coal, and as it did, our desire for more coal brought the usage right back up. Ugh. So what does this have to do with today? Well, Conway says, nearly every pathway for combating climate change and reducing global carbon emissions assumes not only that we shift to cleaner fuels, but, and this is the critical part, that global energy demand actually falls. He says, this is not just incredibly ambitious, it's unprecedented because of the Jevons paradox. Ugh. It would be reasonable to assume that creating more efficient, cleaner fuels would reduce the blanket of pollution that we are covering Earth with. But it turns out that human beings seem to have hardwired within us a way that we counterbalance every technological advance that comes with an uncontainable desire for more and more and more. So instead of blindly hoping that human behavior will suddenly shift, Conway places his hope in ensuring that every form of energy that we create would be more and more green and as attractive as possible. And that's where he places his hope, is that we're going to beat the Jevons paradox by making the energy more and more and more and more and more and more attractive. So even though with solar and wind advances, we're not there at this moment, and so we are at a space, according to Conway at least, that his hope is that to defeat the Jevons paradox, the best we can do is hope that climate scientists who are among us or out there are studying things in ways that will push us over an edge. That's the Jevons paradox. It was depressing to me. <laughs> Today's reading is rooted in a different kind of paradox. 
one that a lot of followers of Jesus we want to turn away from. I'm going to call this one the Messiah paradox. Jesus is absurd and self-contradictory proposition that the best hope that we have is the way of the cross. Peter can't fathom that this way forward could possibly be the best approach. Peter imagines the Messiah as one who leads the way to victory with power and with might, countering an eye for an eye, a Messiah who will violently overthrow Caesar, who will resist Roman Empire's brutality by fighting back, replacing the Roman Empire with a divine order. And Peter is blunt with Jesus. Peter wants the way of the crown, not the way of the cross. And Jesus sings back to him as our musicians led us, don't let the devil ride. Don't let the accuser, as the First Nations version says it, ride. Jesus is clear, the ones who hold on to their lives will not find life. But the ones who are willing to let go of their lives for me and for the good story I bring will find the true life. Following Jesus, as we all know, involves sometimes difficult, sometimes painful processes of opening up, transforming from being turned inward in self-absorption to turning outward in love and justice-making. It's actually a paradox, a Messiah paradox, that denying ourselves, taking up the cross, is what leads to life. But then our image closes with something that makes us, at least some of us, want to turn away even further. The New Revised Version says, Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Humanity will also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Abba with the holy angels. The First Nations version that Bob shared for us says, there are bad-hearted and unfaithful people living today in this generation who are ashamed of me and my message. So when the true human being comes to show the power and shining greatness of his creator, along with his Holy Spirit messengers, he will also be ashamed of these people. Isn't shame part of the trap, though, that brings us right back to this space? Shame. Brene Brown is one among many who have written beautifully to help us think more deeply about shame. She writes about it like this. Based on my research, she says, and the research of other shame researchers, I believe that there is a profound difference between shame and guilt. I believe that guilt is adaptive and helpful. It's holding something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. I define shame as the intensely painful experience or feeling of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Sometimes we've experienced done or failed to do make us unworthy of connection at all. She says, I don't believe shame is helpful or productive. In fact, I think shame is much more likely to be the source of destructive, hurtful behavior than the solution or cure. I think the fear of disconnection can make us dangerous. So it made me wonder, as I was holding this reading and 
listening in all the different translations about Jesus feeling shame toward people and then coming back to bring more shame upon them. Whether Jesus was saying to Peter and others like him who are ashamed of the way of the cross that they're unworthy of connection, of love. Is that the shame that Jesus is talking about? Or is Jesus saying that Peter and others like him are, who are ashamed of the way of the cross would feel psychological discomfort when their actions were held up as a mirror to their supposed reported values? A spiritual director that I was with this week helped to think about it another way. She differentiated toxic shame and what I'll call redemptive shame. And I think we all have experiences where we can differentiate guilt and shame or toxic shame from some form of redemptive shame. Toxic shame is the destructive form that should always be resisted. But feeling uncomfortable when our actions and inactions cause harm it seems that that could actually be a helpful, even life-giving feeling to work and move through, especially in community with others. The Greek word that is used in this text, you see there, it actually translates as like a fitting disgrace, which to me does evoke the image of feeling discomfort, that what I've done or left undone leaves me feeling uncomfortable, that it doesn't line up with how I say I'm wanting to be in the world. In other words, in this, those who are ashamed of the way of the cross, those who consciously or unconsciously want a warrior Messiah, a crown without a cross, or personal salvation without the accompanying of others in places of deep and real suffering, they will be, we will be singled out for misplacing our confidence or our support Believing the big lie. It's striking to me that Jesus doesn't imagine Peter to be unworthy of love or belonging. Quite the contrary. Peter is with Jesus and they keep moving on together. So there is a way that belonging is assumed in how Jesus approaches this. Peter is not excommunicated for believing the big lie. He's not excommunicated for not grasping the depth of the Messiah paradox. It seems clear that Jesus, though, is unapologetically singling Peter out for misplacing his confidence and support and for be believing the big lie that redemptive violence will find a way forward for us. Reverend Dr. Claudio Carvalhes is a Brazilian-born professor of worship and ritual at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. In New York City. Claudio remembers a moment, and he shared about this in an interview, a moment in his life when a mirror of his own deeply held Christian values was held up to him, and he realized that he had been misplacing his confidence. He had been misplacing his hope, believing a big lie. For Claudio, this way of the cross was shown to him by Robin Wall Kimmerer the Potawatomi botanist and author of Braiding Sweetgrass that so many have moved through. And Claudio remembers it this way. Since Robin came to Union Theological Seminary for a conference when I was on my sabbatical, I was listening to her on YouTube. She said, we need to create new rituals. We do not have rituals for this time. And when she said that, 
And because I also deal with rituals, I started crying, saying, my goodness, I need to change. And from that day on, I decided I needed to change my entire scholarship. I needed to change every class that I teach. If one class that I taught about extractivism, we started to do rituals. And in another class about mourning the earth, we were doing the mourning and then creating rituals out of the community. Claudio moved deeper into the Messiah paradox, walking into the suffering of creation as a way of leading to actual deep life abundant. I think he found what Linda was sharing about last week in worship as we gathered, and we looked at a Venn diagram, and you see it there with you. Last week, we were wondering about what brings you joy, and what are you good at? And Claudio started to pay a lot more attention to what work needs doing, what climate and justice solutions need doing, and how does my joy and the things that I'm skilled at, how does it connect? He started to experience that climate action plan and changed everything about his own teaching and the way that he moves. And it leaves me wondering where the Messiah paradox might lead you as you look at the deep needs of our earth that cries for justice. I remember when we initially returned to in-person worship uh, at an earlier iteration of Global Pandemic, wherever we are now. It was after so many months of online worship, and we were finally going to experience communion, and then we realized, well, we have masks on. What are we going to do? And so actually, Linda and I called Claudio, and we talked to him on Zoom for a time about what the center of life here is at the table of breaking bread and what it means to us. And out of this conversation, we started to wonder about moving communion outside. And so we opened that door. And some of you will remember this. Some of you were part of our community when we did. We moved tables outside and we all broke bread outside and then we came back in in this way. We got all kinds of responses to that kind of ritual shift. Some people loved the experience of having the ritual of communion disrupted. Others were annoyed. Others worried that it's really hard to, as Omari sang last Sunday about like resting in our soul, it's really hard to find rest in our soul when there's cars and bikers going past. And Linda and I thought, well, isn't that the point though? Ultimately, we realized that accessibility issues, moving outside, limited how that could be uh, received and who could come to the table in that way. And so we've moved communion back inside. And it might not be as, as obvious, it might not be as obvious to folks as we move communion in a way that's more familiar to us now, but we bring so many parts of creation with us into the sanctuary when we come here. And maybe you're like I am and you walk past them most of the time. But I think about sharing communion or common union, that it isn't a coincidence that we have fire and water and earth all around us as we gather in the sanctuary. 
And maybe like me, you take it for granted and you just move past these things. But isn't it um, stunning that as we gather in this sacred space in this moment, that we witness or have an opportunity to slow down and rest our souls in the peace of wild things as we notice the luminous power of fire by placing a candle in the earth, in the sand, or the powers of the baptismal waters that are with us as we move into the sanctuary. And it leaves me wondering if the very ritual that is at the center of our life together at the church might actually be one that invites us to wonder about what it could look like to take up the cross in relationship to our own relationship to God's earth, which cries for healing. Every part of that creation made from dust and earth by God. Every part of that creation animated in and through God's spirit. I wonder how the fire and the water and the earth around us might lead us to take up our cross this day. I invite you to hear these words from Steve Garnis Holmes as we wonder about what it would look like to find our way ever deeper into the Messiah paradox. Let us pray. God, you pour out life in a radiant stream, flowing through our days, through this world, at the heart of all things. I confess I abandon it. I turn from the you of life to the me of my mind. I slip out of the we of human family, away from the us of creation, and forfeit real life earnestly making, proving, and defending myself. I cut myself off from you, my only source of life. I don't even show up. Here in my hands, I have everything the world sells, and it's junk. I repent. Give me a spirit of gratitude and trust to receive your grace. Give us hearts of love to love boldly, and so find in our hands life, true life. Amen. The breaking of bread is itself a reminder of the way of the cross, the Messiah paradox. The one whose last meal was not a triumphant banquet for victors, but an intimate time with co-conspirators who were mostly ashamed of the way he invited them to be. Instead of equipping them with weapons, Jesus chose grains from the field and fruit from the vines in hopes that the practice of communion, common union, might lead us back to the we of the human family, deeper into the us of creation. And so we pause with the people of the ages who have come to this time in worship all around God's creation. And we say a prayer, which the church has come to call a prayer of confession, to acknowledge the ways we resist and deny the new life Jesus promises through the way of the cross. And I invite us to stand in body or spirit as we are willing.
This prayer comes to us from a Native American scholar and activist, Vine Deloria, and his work, God is Red. Let us pray. The lands of the planet call to humankind for redemption, but it is a redemption of sanity, not a supernatural reclamation project at the end of history. The lands wait for those who can discern their rhythms. The peculiar genius of each continent, each river valley, the rugged mountains, the placid lakes, all call for relief from the constant burden of exploitation. Who will find peace with the lands? The future of humankind lies waiting for those who will come to understand their lives and take up their responsibilities to all living things. Who will listen to the trees, the animals and birds, the voices of the places of the land? Hear these words of assurance which come to us from a first century prayer. Show yourself to those in need. Heal the sick. Fill the hungry. Give freedom to our prisoners. Console the faint-hearted. This way of Christ's beauty and love is yours this day and evermore. Amen. And friends, I invite us into the church's practice for recognizing the animating spirit of God in each and every neighbor around us. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And we invite you to turn to a person near to you and share a symbol of that peace one with another. every good thing. You create the visible world and all it contains. You inebriate it with inexhaustible springs and you said, let us make humanity in our own image. You gave us souls endowed with reason and judgment. You gave us bodies endowed with the five senses and with movement. And you brought us into this paradise of delights, but we scorned your commandment. You rightly thrust us forth from paradise. But you did not wholly reject us in our lost state, and you promised to release us from the bonds of death so that we might live and rise from the dead.
the fire of compassion descended and took up residence in bread. See, fire and spirit are in the womb of her who bore you. Fire and spirit are in the rivers in which we are baptized. Fire and spirit are in our baptismal font. In the bread and cup are fire, fire and Holy Spirit. is newly mingled with our bodies. Christ's blood poured into our veins, Christ's voice in our ears, and Christ's brightness in our eyes. In God's compassion, the whole of Christ is mingled with the whole of us. us into prayer together with the words Jesus shared long ago with his close companions. It has been passed through the generations and the church has named this the Lord's Prayer and this is a version that is a paraphrase from the New Zealand prayer book. Let us pray. Eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be. Father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echoes through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the earth. Your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. Pour your spirit, God, upon each of us gathered in this moment and over these gifts before us. Make these gifts the body and the love of Christ and make us through them Christ's body alive in the world. Amen. Amen. All are welcome to the table of God's love and I invite you to be seated. <laughs> and when we say all, we mean everyone. Please know that here in this sanctuary, we will share this meal up in the front and in the back. For our friends that are gathered online, I invite you to bring close to you whatever you are using for your bread and your juice this morning. On the platter, you will see bread that was baked for us, and in the center of the platter, there is also bread, which is gluten-free, that was baked for us. And so we're grateful to David for that gift. And uh, in the cup, there is always grape juice, just so you know. 
Every Sunday as we come to this time, we are mindful that there are those among us for whom this is something very new. And so um, that's a brave thing to either come or to sit right where you are or to go and pray. There are many for whom this is a life practice and we recognize that most of us are somewhere in between. So just remember that we are in this together. There's nothing you can do to mess up, all right? We watch over one another in love. And there are places all around the sanctuary to kneel or stand in prayer, to light a candle, to be in silence, listening for what God may speak to you this day. Friends, this is the body of Christ and the bread of life broken for you and God's healing and forgiveness poured out for the whole world.
encourage those praying with candles to stay for as long as you need or desire in that spirit of prayer. Loving God, for the depth of your surrender, we give thanks. For your call into costly discipleship, we say yes. May the bread and the cup through which you are revealed to creation bind us together and make us one in and through your love made known in Jesus Christ in whom we place our hope. Amen. Amen. That song that we just heard, um, Surrender, it came out of that magic writing retreat that Sarnit was uh, reflecting on as well, and that's Hannah Jane Kyle and our music, beautiful music team sharing that piece with us. We hope that it will inspire you, as this time does, to wonder about the next steps which God might be inviting you to take in this moment. Outside, for those who have signed up, we have two full Growing in Faith series um, coming up. If you don't, if you're in one of those but don't yet have a book, please pick one of those up outside of the sanctuary. For those that are online, if you'll let us know, we'll make sure to get a copy of the book to you. And we just have opened up a new Growing in Faith series that'll be here in Sacramento in April, and then one that'll take place over in David in April as well. So if those work for your schedules, we invite you to find your way to our website and you can sign up there. Today is the last day to order or pre-order sourdough rise up uh, bread, which is delivered here each Sunday morning to the table. So please go on our website and order that today. If you'd like to have it for any of the Sundays in March, you can pick Sundays to have it delivered to you or Sundays that you want to take off or to gift it to the South Sacramento Interfaith Partnership Food Closet. All of those are choices and we commend that to you. And then as Sarnit named, we will be out in Davis for a pop-up worship at 4 p.m. next Sunday. And then we'll also be here um, on the 10th of March to talk with folks about baptism. And that conversation about baptism does not commit you to anything. It is just an opportunity to connect and go a little bit deeper with Pastor Linda and myself to talk about what baptism might mean for you and for your family, for a child and your family, and we'd love to have that conversation. I'll invite you to stand as you're willing or able, and we're going to go out in morning to, or this morning, to love like there's no tomorrow. Loving every night and day, loving all our trouble away. We're gonna love like there's no tomorrow. Loving every minute and hour, 
Loving past our own power We're gonna love like there's no tomorrow We're gonna love like there's no tomorrow We're gonna love like there's no to love like there's no may you go from this place trusting, trusting that God's love looks upon you with the eyes of deepest care. May you hold within you the love that God sees for you, and may that guide us into the world, that our lives might actually start to line up with the healing that God so longs to see for our communities, for the whole world, and for all of creation. Go in peace. We gonna love, 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 love for my brother, love for my sister, love past the color, love for creation, love on every occasion. We gonna love, 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 love. We gonna love like there's no. That's all.